Well, good morning. Welcome to church again. My name is Ken. I'm our youth pastor here. Uh, it's a prev- uh, privilege to be with you and to speak with you this morning. Uh, this morning, Pastor Chip, is, uh, he has a really awesome opportunity. Uh, the church that he was in before he came to Napnaz, Mackey, uh, turned 100 this year. And so he gets to go back this morning and celebrate that with them. Uh, if you were here last year when we got the opportunity to celebrate 50 years and Dave and Joe and the rest of the pastors came back to uh, just what a special time that was. So he gets to experience that today uh, on the other side of things. And so um, that's where he is this morning. And, and as I try to do as often as I can when I speak and as he's not here, I just encourage you to pray for your pastor. Uh, he is our, he's our leader. And, and especially as we're going through um, this series over spiritual warfare, um, He's, he shared it with you, uh, I think, last week at the, be, at the beginning of his message, but uh, it, it is different when you're preparing a message over spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't like it, and it's amazing uh, what works its way into your, your thought and into your attention. I experienced it this week from myself. Um, I, I'm not saying that Satan did anything uh, to me this week. However, um, I was distracted by anything and everything possible as uh, as I prepared this week, and it was it was a great week. We had a lot going on. Um, we uh, we had our uh, what used to be what we used to call FCA. We now call it E three. But with the junior high and high school students at Napoleon, we had them here at, at church on Monday because the, they didn't have school. Uh, and then uh, on on Wednesday night, we had a great Wednesday night. I got the opportunity to uh, tell the students that Trent is going to be a big brother, so that was cool. And yes. Um, Told the, told the first service that uh, Kristen and Ben and Gabby and myself are going to join a support group for those who are, who are getting ready to make the jump from one kid to two. So if any of you are aware of some good ones, we're, we're open and willing to hear those. Um, but it was, a, it was a great week, and, and it should have been a, a great week to really prepare a sermon, but it was really, really difficult. And every, I was aware of every noise that happened in my, in my office and in the church, I was aware of every bug that entered my office. I'm not normally a, a bug. It didn't bother me. Um, it was difficult. Like, there was, uh, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. All sports things are going on this week. And it just, every, all these things were all of a sudden just blazing and, and, and getting my attention. And that's not, not normal for me. And so, like, I could just tell that getting ready to talk about spiritual warfare, um, Again, the enemy doesn't like it, and he's going to take every opportunity he can to distract you from what you need to do. And so that's not just true for those who prepare to talk to you about it and sermons about it. It's true for, for you guys as you guys are hearing this and you guys are listening to this. I just encourage you, be, be prepared, be aware uh, of what the enemy is, is, is doing and telling you. And uh, this, this series, I, I feel like, is, is so important because, it, again, we've talked about it. It's something that we don't think about probably as much, nearly as much as we should. And so um, just encourage you in that. We have been talking about um, this series called Suit Up, focusing on Ephesians chapter 6, um, verses 10 through 20. And this morning, I want us to start out just by taking a quick look back. I know we just listened to uh, the bumper video and it kind of read it for us, but I want us to just look at the the first few verses of this, starting uh, in, in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Now, the end of that, um, you know, like when, when you first read through it, maybe you read through it real quick, you're like, well, that ends weird because um, it just said stand like three different times in like the same sentence. But what it's, it's telling us is that our goal in this fight, our goal in this spiritual war is not to just survive. It's not to just lay down and hope that, they, that the enemy goes in a different direction. It's that God wants to equip us so that we can stand and we can fight and we can move forward in this battle. We are to be aggressive in this battle, not reactive. And so that is why uh, we're, that's what we're talking about this, throughout this series. The thing that we've talked about each week is you can't win if you don't know. You cannot win this fight if you don't even know what's going on or you act like it's not going on. I, I scoured um, everything that I, I could think of this week to find an example of somebody who won and didn't know they were even playing a game. And I really couldn't find anything. The only thing that like, really came to mind was the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. I think, I think he defeats Wiley Coyote a lot when he doesn't even realize Wiley Coyote's even after him. Um, but that's the only example I could think of. You can't you can't win a fight or a competition or a game or whatever if you don't even know you're playing it. And this is how it is when it comes to this spiritual war. And so often we're, we're convinced uh, about things about our enemy that are not true. Uh, the first one, uh, or one of the major ones Pastor Chip has already shared with us, um, it's that we are convinced that Satan is this cartoon character. It's somebody that, that uh, you know, we laugh off, we shrug off, he's this red character with a tail and two horns and a pitchfork, and, and, and that's one of the main lies. He's made it into something that, that's, not that, uh, that's not reality. But there's two other things that I want us to consider this morning. Uh, lies about Satan that we buy into. The first one is that Satan is powerless, that uh, he's not God and he doesn't win in the end, so there's really nothing that he can do against me, right? And then two is that Satan is everywhere, all right? Uh, we, 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 probably, we probably have known people in the past or maybe even have been people in the past who, uh, when we start thinking about Satan, we all of a sudden see him everywhere and he's doing everything against us and he's constantly uh, coming at us and hitting us with things and everything is a result of Satan coming at us and working in our life. And the, the thing that I found about um, God and all my studies of theology and all the things, God is a God of balance. God is a God of, uh, of being centered, um, and, and this is no different. Our, these two extreme viewpoints of, of Satan, I believe we find the truth in the middle. Now, people that, uh, that assume that, that Satan is everywhere, this isn't, this isn't the right attitude to have towards the enemy. The enemy uh, wants us to be preoccupied with him. He wants us to think that he's everywhere. He wants us... Um, <laughs> when I, I, are there any office fans in the room? Okay, if you are, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's an episode uh, where Jim throws a snowball at Dwight. And Dwight wants to get him back. And so uh, Jim comes out of the, the building one night in the office complex, and there's all of these snowmen everywhere. 
and he is, he is terrified that one of them is Dwight, and then all of a sudden he just starts getting pelted by snowballs, and he comes in, and his face is bloody, and, and like, that's what Satan wants us to think about himself. He wants us to think that he's everywhere. He wants us to be preoccupied with what he's doing, so much so that we can't be preoccupied with God and what God's doing. And so Satan, uh, Satan wants to d- distract us. God wants us just to be focused on him. And so uh, God wants us uh, to, to not be so caught up in, in seeing Satan everywhere that we forget to worship, that we forget to uh, come before him and to let him shape us and mold us and talk to us and spend time with him. The other side uh, that we, we need to understand is that s- Satan is not powerless. When we, uh, when we look at Satan, it is important for us to know that Satan, um, he is not God. He does not possess the omni-powers that God has, right? He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at the same time. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. But there's some things about Satan that I really feel like we need to know going forward, and it's about who he really is, where he really comes from, his, his origins, so to speak. And so this morning, uh, I think it's helpful for us to take a look at this. Um, you want to have a great week, just start studying the origins of Satan. It's kind of, it's kind of weird in Scripture, but I did that this week, and I, I just think it's important for us to know who our enemy really is and who, where he came from. And so the first thing about Satan that we need to know is he's a created being. So often I think we kind of think that, you know, like, God is all good and, and Satan is all bad, and they've always been to, there fighting each other, and, and no, God existed in a, in, a, in, a, in a moment in his own history where there was not a Satan. God created Satan. And it's, sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our brains around. There's a lot of questions that come out of that. Probably 10 other sermons that we could talk about with that. But God created Satan. Satan did not, uh, Satan is not um, the Alpha and the Omega the same way that God is. Um, he has not always been and he will not always, he, he will not always be God created him. Next, his original name was Lucifer, and he was created perfect. This shouldn't be terribly difficult for us to understand. We were, at one point in time, created perfect as well. Mankind was created, made in the garden, and Satan was given the opportunity, Lucifer was given the opportunity to follow God, and he was given a choice, just like we were, to follow God, and he chose to sin. He chose to rebel against God, just like we did, but he was created perfect. And the name Lucifer is a Latin name that comes from the morning star. It's one of the, one of the names of Satan and one of the titles for Satan in the Bible. And so uh, a, lot of, a lot of theologians attribute his first name as Lucifer. He and his minions were angels who, ha- who had fallen. So not only were they create, not only is Satan a created being, not only were his demons and his minions created beings, but they were created and placed originally in heaven. And they were with God. Uh, they know who God is. They know God who God is really well because they were with him at one point in time. He had a heavenly estate. So again, he, he resided in heaven. So if you think that Satan is, is unaware of who God is and what God is and what God is up to, you are mistaken today. Satan is well aware. More aware than what we are because he was with him all the way back 
when, when God started to create. When he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. I think this is important for us to understand because so often one of the lies that the enemy throws at us is that we are all alone, we are lonely, and that we are outnumbered. And it's important to know that Satan does have an army of forces with him that are as a third of the original number of all of the angels. And Satan wants us to feel like we are standing in front of his massive army all by ourselves. But it's important to know this, that we, as followers of Jesus, are on the opposite side, standing with the most powerful creator that there is with two-thirds of the original amount of angels. And the, and the original, the heavenly army on our side is bigger than the other one. And so when Satan comes at you and Satan convinces you that you are outnumbered and you are alone and you are by yourself, that's not true. Next, he was a cherub. When I read this and I, and I immediately had my first reaction to that, I was like, a cherub, isn't that like the little naked baby that like flies on the Valentine's Day cards, like the Hallmark cards that cost you seven bucks, right? Um, no, that's not, that's not, we do use that term to talk about those little flying babies. However, um, a cherub, if you, if you go and you, you were get on Google and you were to type in uh, like heavenly soldier, it'd pull up a picture usually of some, somewhere in the Google search of like Michael the archangel. This is what a cherub most likely was, uh, was, would look like. It was, it was a heavenly uh, angel army military leader. It was, it was to suggest that they were higher than the, the other. They're just like the regular order of angel. This was the, the, these were the leaders of the angels. All right? And Satan is a part of that group. All right? And then we find out that he was the guardian and he was the keeper of God's glory. Guardian, I don't believe that God would just entrust that with just anyone. So therefore, Satan had to be somebody of significance when he was in heaven. In fact, uh, as, as we go and look on, what we know, he is the most powerful created thing and second only to God. He is beautiful, and this led to his prideful downfall. I have to imagine knowing that he was in the, the upper level of authority in heaven and that he was this cherub and that he was protecting God's glory, you had to get a little bit jealous of that, right? You had to get a little bit like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pretty good looking myself and I, uh, I, I'm, I'm protecting God's glory. I've got a lot of responsibility here. I... Uh, I would love a little bit of that for myself. And that pride leads to his downfall, and he's so deceptive, and he's so good at being deceptive, that he takes a third of, of the angels that God has made to do nothing but worship him in heaven with him as, they've, as they fall from heaven. And we're going to talk about why they fell from heaven here in just a little bit. Uh, but I like, uh, I, I like this quote from Chip Ingram. The goal of Satan has always been the same, and that is to be like God. And when you look in the very beginning, Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3, what is the lie that Satan the serpent tells Eve? 
If you eat this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Satan, through his pride, wants to be like God. And this is the the main tool of deception that he uses. God is holding back on you. God God is keeping you from things. If you just had the freedom, God has all these rules, and God has all these just holding you back. If you would just experience this, you would, you would have, your life would be so much better. And this is, the, this is the lie, this is the whisper, and this is the original lie and the original whisper that Satan had in his own mind when he rebelled against God. And so this is, it's important for us to know who, who Satan is, because this is the guy that's coming after us. This is, the, this is the guy who, who he and his followers, these are the ones that are trying to tell us who we are, who we're not. They're, they're coming in when we have fallen short. They're stepping in in our worst moments, and they're telling us, you did that? You call yourself a Christian? You did that? Satan is a very, like we've been talking about, Satan is a very formidable foe. But the good news that we have this morning is that we have been equipped to win. I've discovered this as a dad. There's no way I would ever send Trent anywhere knowingly without things that he needs. I'm not sending Trent to daycare without the things that he needs, diapers, all the different things that he needs right now. Um, I'm not sending him, uh, if he, when he grows up and gets a little bit older and starts playing a sport, I'm not sending him out onto a football field without the pads and the helmet and stuff that he needs. Or I'm not sending him to school without the, the school supplies that he needs, right? God is, not, God is well aware of who Satan is, more so than anybody else. And he knows that he's here, and he knows that he's amongst us, and he knows that even from the very beginning, he's tried to turn God's creation away from him. And God is not sending us out into the world without the equipment that we need to, to stand against him, not just to, not just to survive against him, but to stand against him and to move forward against him. And God has equipped us with the things that we need to win. And the other thing that we have on our side is that we uh, have been empowered for victory. Like we said, God has already written the ending. We know what happens to Satan. He ends up in a lake of fire, in a pit that has no bottom, and we will be in a new heaven and a new earth with our Creator. But there's still a fight. Uh, one thing that I, uh, I found interesting, I was just reading a, a bunch of different stuff this week, and, and one of the things is that um, in, in World War II, after Japan had surrendered, a lot, of, a lot of fighting still went on post-surrender out on the other islands that were disconnected that didn't know the war was over, and they had to go in and continue to fight even though the battle was already over and won. And in the same way, we fight against the enemy today. The battle is already over. The battle is already won. However, that doesn't stop the enemy from attacking. And he wants to take us down with him, and he wants to tell us that we can be our own gods. We can, we can control our own life. And it's the original life from the very beginning, and that's who Satan is, and that's who we're fighting. So the things that we've been equipped for, we've been looking at this um, We have been given a belt of truth that's buckled around our waist. 
Paul uses this imagery of a Roman soldier and the, the armor that a Roman soldier would wear. And it all starts with the belt. It goes around the waist and then it comes up kind of over the shoulder. It kind of keeps everything locked in place. It holds the sword. It even has a spot for the shield. Uh, it's a key component to the armor. And Paul places in this illustration, it, he places truth in the place of the belt. Because the truth is what locks us in. We talked about this last week. Objective truth of who God is what we know about God to be true 100%, we live out of that truth. And that truth sets everything else up. It holds everything else in place. And this week, we're going to move on and we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is known as the heart protector. The breastplate on a, on a Roman soldier would start somewhere here around the neck and it would go down to, a, to about mid-thigh. And depending on how wealthy of a soldier you were, it was uh, either made out of bronze if you were not as wealthy, or chain mail if you were a little bit more wealthy. And they would usually have like a boiled leather piece that would go along the back of it, so that would be between you and the metal. And uh, it was one of the most important pieces of armor because it protected your most important parts of your body. It protected your heart. It protected your, your lungs. It protected your, your kidneys and liver and your intestines. And it covered the parts of you that if those were to be damaged, life and survival would be difficult. Especially in the day of a Roman soldier because the medical, the, the medical side of things was not uh, where it is today. And, and if, you, if you took a shot to a vital organ, there's a decent chance that you weren't going to survive. And you would not... You, would not, you could go into army or into, into a battle with, uh, with a lot of pieces gone, but the one thing you would never do is you would never go into battle without the breastplate. Once the fighting started and the, and the, two, and the two sides were together in the middle of a battlefield, the, the arrows would stop coming because they wouldn't want to shoot their own guys, so the arrows would stop, and so the need for a shield, the need for a helmet uh, wasn't as prevalent. But when you were in the trenches and you were fighting with the enemy and you, and you were close in hand-to-hand -hand combat, they mostly fought with shorter swords at that point. And the breastplate was, was all that you had to guard against a blow that you didn't see coming. And so that's why the breastplate is so important. And so it's interesting that Paul, using this illustration of a Roman soldier, places righteousness in the place of a breastplate. By righteousness, we mean this, uprightness, right living, integrity in one's lifestyle and character. Basically this, putting into practice what you know is right. All right, so the belt of truth, we learned what that was last week. We, we operate out of that truth and the, and the breastplate of righteousness is putting that truth into action. I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene and the Church of the Nazarene, as a denomination, holiness is our, uh, uh, well, not to even quote the song, holiness is our watchword and song, right? We, we, it's, it's, it's one of the key pieces of identity for us, as a, as, for our theology, as a, as a doctrine, as a denomination, okay? This is talking 
about holiness. And, and when I think of holiness, and when I, when I even try to teach and talk about holiness to other people, uh, my, my thoughts go back to Isaiah in the Old Testament. And Isaiah, um, in, in chapter 6, it starts out with the year that King Uzziah died. We, we know that. Uh, we've, we've probably, if you've been around church long enough, you've probably heard that passage talked about before. But the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah has this, this vision, and he's taken into the throne room in heaven, uh, it, just looking up at God. And he knows in that moment that he shouldn't be there. Why should he not be there? Because he was not clean. He was a man of unclean lips. He even said, woe is me. And, and he thinks in that moment he should die. It's the reason why in, in the Old Testament when the, the high priest was going to go into the most holy of holy uh, places in the temple, he would tie a rope around his foot because if he went in and he was in God's presence and there was sin in his life and he walked in there, he would fall over dead and they would have to pull him out with a rope. And all of a sudden Isaiah is in the presence of God and he knows he is not he is not clean he is not forgiven for some of the sins in his life and he knows he shouldn't be standing there and by all accounts he should be dead but god sends a seraphim with a with a flaming coal from one of the fires by the throne down to isaiah and he touches isaiah's lips and in that moment god presents isaiah as clean and as as pure and he all of a sudden can stand there not only can he stand there but he talks to god and he tells god hey I'll go, send me. And so out of, this, out of this, uh, this act of holiness, he gets to stand up out of this purified sense that he got from the coal. Now, then he stands up, and now he's an active member of, of God's kingdom going forward. Jump ahead to the New Testament. All of a sudden, Jesus is here, and Jesus is, is teaching us how to live. He's walking the earth. He's performing miracles. And then he goes to the cross as a, as a blameless sacrifice for our sins and when he comes back when he has beaten death when he has beaten sin and he comes back to life all of a sudden jesus is that coal that that flaming coal for you and for me he jesus by his power and his power alone can make us clean he can forgive our sins and then out of that there's action that's required just like when isaiah is forgiven and the coal touches his lips and he is able to stand up and he God is saying, you know, who shall we go? Who shall go for us? Who shall we send? And he stands up and says, I'll go send me. We now have the ability to stand up and to move forward in God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus shows us this because when he interacts with people twice in the, in the, in the book of John, Jesus has interactions with people. And he ends the interactions with these people by saying, go and sin no more. It's, it's, it's not enough just to just to experience the, the, the grace and the forgiveness of God, we're supposed to do something with that. That's supposed, to, that's supposed to be the starting point, not the ending point. And so one of the two people that Jesus talks to when he, when he goes and he, and he tells them to go and sin no more, it's, it's, a, it's a prostitute. It's a woman who's, who's been living a life of sin. And so it makes sense for Jesus to say, like, hey, go, don't go do that again. Right? But the other person that he talks to, it's a man who's, who was born... Uh, uh, without the ability to walk and he was laying by a pool and jesus comes up to him and tells him to stand up pick up his mat and walk and at the end of that end of the end of that interaction he tells him now go and sin no more well why why would jesus do that why is paul telling us that that holiness that right living that living a life of integrity 
is so important that it takes the place of the breastplate. When Jesus healed the man by the pool and he gives him the ability to stand up and go walk, Jesus doesn't want him to just survive. Jesus wants him to live life and have it to the full. And Jesus knows that if he's just been given this, if he's given this, this man a new, a new lease on life, if he can walk, if his sins have been forgiven, he doesn't want it wasted by the, the, the guy just continuing to operate as he had. He wants him to get better. He wants him to, he wants him to go out and experience this life that God's made for him. And he, God wants the same for you and for me. He doesn't want us just to go through life he, accepting just forgiveness and then just stopping there. God, God, is, God has designed this life to, to, to be a, an experience for us and to, to experience him in the midst of this world. And he doesn't want us to just get continually just get strapped down by sinful behaviors and things that will distract us and, and areas that, things that we do that just continue to give Satan a door back into our life. And so we're forgiven out of Jesus' love and his mercy. And then out of that forgiveness, that should change our behavior. We should, be then, to we should be then begin to live differently. And that becomes one of the most important parts of God's armor for us to, to attack and experience the devil. And Jesus gives us the best uh, illustration uh, or example of how to take Satan on given that. Before I do that, though, I do want to say this. Being holy is not, a behavior mod is not behavior modification. It is protection. I think so often one of the, the things that culture tries to do and paint people who are uh, holiness people is that they, they try to make them out to be you know, like the fundamentalist person, the, the, the Bible thumper, the, the family that comes to church all in matching sweaters, and um, the, the annoying people that you know, are on TV shows that are Christians, and, and they, make, they make all the Christians kind of tend to be this type of mindset, and, and they're, they're, good, they're good behaving people, and, and that's, just, that's what they focus in on, is just behavior modification. God has no interest in just making you a good boy or girl. God wants you to live a holiness lifestyle so that you can be protected from the enemy. And this is what, this is what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, we read that, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. First off, it's important to note that if Jesus is susceptible or capable of of the devil's attention in time, the devil is going to spend some time on you too. 
if Jesus is tempted and if Satan comes and he tries to use his schemes on Jesus, he's going to come after us too. Nobody's off limits. And so it's important for us to see how Jesus responds. And, and there's a few things that we're going to pull out of this passage. The very first thing is Satan comes when we are most vulnerable. Jesus was fasting in the desert for 40 days. I don't know how long the longest has been that you have gone without food, but there comes a point when you've gone without food to where it's the most important thing to you. And I have to imagine that at the end of 40 days, Satan didn't come on day 39, Satan came on day 40. A lot of us have a lot of different day 40s. Satan doesn't come when we're well rested, and he doesn't come when we're well fed, and he doesn't, he doesn't come, well he can, but he, he, he tends to not come when we're well provided for, and we've he comes when we're stretched out. He comes when we're tired. He comes when we are, um, our, our, our sense of anxiety is heightened. He comes when we're hungry. He comes when we're broke. He comes when we're fighting. He comes at just the right moment when we are the most vulnerable. We have to be ready before Satan arrives. If we wait to get ready for Satan to come and to tempt us till he's there, it's too late. Jesus responds to every attack that Satan throws at him by Scripture. And Scripture, we're told, is one of the main ways to fend off the devil. We've got to be invested in the Word of God now before Satan comes to attack. It's kind of like a football team who is getting ready for a big game against a big rival. What are they going to do before the day of the, the game? They're going to prepare, right? They're going to look at, they're going to look at past film. They're going to look at history of, of plays that they run. They're going to look and see how they respond in certain situations. They don't wait to do that in the locker room when the 20-minute countdown comes on. They do it all week leading up to the game so that when the day of the, day, the game comes, they're ready to go. When was the last time you spent time in the Word? When was the last time you worked on memorizing the Word? When was the last time you prayed using the Word? When was the last time that you spent just quiet time alone with God? When that stuff starts to, to work its way out of our life, and it happens through lots of things. It happens through busy schedules. It happens through work crisis and home crisis and 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 a number of different things. That's one of the, Satan's aware of that too. And he's going to send a lot of things our way to distract us. But the most important thing that we can do is prepare for the moment when we are most vulnerable because that's when Satan comes and we have to be ready. The next thing, Satan tests our knowledge of who and whose we are. All of the, the, the three things that he tempts Jesus with all have to do with who Jesus is. Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan's well aware that Jesus is the Son of, of God. He is, he is God with skin on. He he's, was with God in the beginning. He is God. Satan knows this. 
So why does Satan take the time to tempt him with food and with, um, with uh, showing off his ability to protect himself from a fall and to give him earthly kingdoms? Because there's times when we forget who we are, right? There's times when we get distracted. Um, unfortunately, I have to bring this up. I'm an Iowa fan. The last two weeks for us have not gone well, if you've been following college football. I went to the game at Michigan last week. It's the most painful thing to watch. And the coaches afterwards, their offense was terrible. He got, our quarterback got sacked eight times in one game. And the coaches after the game said, we knew exactly what their defense was going to do. The quarterback was well aware of where their blitzes were going to be coming from and what they were going to try to do to throw us off. They knew. And yet it still happened. Why? Because all of a sudden the quarterback started to get distracted, tried to call different things. He lost track of the original thing was that they're going to they're going to bring a blitz from over here. I need to be ready to get the ball out. He was, he was hoping that receivers would get open and different things were going to happen. And he just kind of forgot. He forgot the game plan. Forgot, in a sense, who he was, what his abilities were, what, he was, what his objective was. And Satan, the enemy, tries to do that to us. And he knows who Jesus is, and he knows that Jesus knows who Jesus is. However, he knows that, you know, sometimes you get distracted. Sometimes you forget. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, you'll respond in a different way. And he thought maybe if Jesus is gone without food for 40 days, maybe, just maybe, I can distract him long enough to just get my foot in the door. Satan does that to us. The other thing we learned from this passage is that the breastplate of righteousness doesn't allow Satan's schemes to stick. If you notice, Satan doesn't hang, along, hang around long. All right? He doesn't just sit there and just continue to throw things at Jesus after Jesus, after Jesus uh, turns his, temp, his temptations and schemes away three different times. He's gone. He doesn't hang around. And then the angels can come. Uh, when we were getting ready for NYC this last, uh, this last summer, we had a spaghetti fundraiser. And I was fascinated to learn how you make a bunch of spaghetti ahead of time. And uh, Tara and Kathy were awesome. They, they made the spaghetti noodles, and they put them in oil, and they put them in the freezer. But then I found out that when you take noodles back out, you got to get the oil off of them before you serve them, because if the oil stays on the noodles, the sauce slips right off. Learn something new every day, right? That's exactly what happens with us uh, if, we, uh, if we are wearing and using the breastplate of righteousness properly. Satan's schemes slip right off of us. Satan's schemes didn't trick Jesus. It didn't trick Jesus when he would, Satan would use the Pharisees to come after him. Jesus was always ready for Satan's attacks, and none of them ever stuck. It was like spaghetti noodles with oil on them. Because, because Jesus was was constantly in a relationship with the Father. He was living an upright lifestyle. He was well aware of what Satan was up to and what he was doing. And wearing the breastplate of righteousness, we can be the same. The last thing, it's not until we put the truth into practice that Satan is defeated. It's not enough just to know the truth about God. It's not just enough to know the truth about Satan. It's not just enough to know that there's a spiritual war going on. We have 
to be aware of it, and we have to put things into practice. It's what we talked about all summer long, if you were with us, and we went through the book of James. It's not just enough to know about God. You've got to put what you know about God into action, and you've got to have it make a difference in your life. And that's what the breastplate of righteousness is about. In closing, um, in April of 1970, there there was a, a, a mission through NASA that took place that was going to send men to the moon for the third time. And uh, this is Apollo 13. Many of you are aware of it. Many of you lived through it and, and know what happened. Uh, but in, in this mission, this is a, a picture of the astronauts. Uh, Jim Lovell was the captain. Fred Hayes was the co, uh, co-captain. And Jack Swigert was the pilot. And their, their goal, their mission, their objective was to get to the moon. They were going to take geological samples. They are also going to replace some equipment that had malfunctioned that had been left there from previous Apollo missions. And, and that was the mission. That was the goal. The, the kind of the luster of the, the space movement had started to fall off. We had made it to the moon, and, and, and people weren't as enthralled with it as maybe they once were. But it was still a big deal. Um, they were doing a live broadcast from space, talked to the president, all that kind of stuff all that kind of stuff. It was, it was kind of a, 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 a neat thing and, and uh, something that NASA spent millions and millions of dollars on and was very proud of. And uh, if you are aware of, of the actual event or you even just watched the movie, um, you know that after that broadcast happened, they stirred the oxygen tanks, which was a normal thing they did routinely throughout the trip. And when they stirred the oxygen tanks, there was an explosion. Uh, in the main service module. They had to leave the main service module and go to the lunar module just to survive, to keep enough resources so that they can make it back. They used the moon's gravity to slingshot them around. They weren't able to go to the moon. The whole mission was thrown off. Basically, the mission just became to bring them home. And uh, a few days later after that, they, they splashed down in the South Pacific Ocean. And uh, the, the mission uh, was called a successful failure. Successful in that they made it back and that they were alive, but a failure, and that they never made it to the moon. In the days leading, uh, in the days following the mission, uh, they started doing a bunch of research and an investigation happened to find out what took place, what happened, and they found out that in the inside the oxygen tank there was a coil, and that coil was wrapped accidentally with combustible Teflon. And so when they stirred the oxygen tanks, a spark hit, the Teflon went up in flames, it ignited the oxygen, there was an explosion. And all of a sudden, the mission was completely over. And in fact, it was a miracle that they even came back with their lives. God doesn't call us to a life of holiness, and God does call us to a life of holiness. We're told multiple times in Scripture to be holy, therefore, as I am holy. It's in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. We're called to be holy, not, again, to be good boys and girls to have our best behavior we're we're called to be holy because the smallest mistake the smallest thing can throw off our mission can throw off our life our 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 hope to experience life to the way that god designed it to the fullest can be dismantled by one little thing that we might hold back on. One, one area where Satan has a foothold in our life, one area where the breastplate isn't attached correctly can allow Satan to come in and to do his worst work. We think that whatever that is, is, is secret. Nobody else knows about it. It's not hurting anybody else but me. 
But what we come to find out is it just takes one little thing to cause an explosion. Satan doesn't need a whole lot of room to operate. And God wants to send us out into a battlefield completely protected, so he calls us to a life of holiness to protect us. Not to, not to give us a sense of pride for how good we are, not to, but he wants us to be fully protected. And so this morning we're called to put on the breastplate of righteousness to defend and defeat and to move forward in our, in our fight with the enemy. And so my question to you as we close, as we leave this morning, uh, if you're a journal person and you've got your journal out, I'm going to ask you to write this down. If you are not a journal person, maybe make a note of it in your phone or write on the edge of your bulletin. What is the area for you where Satan has the slightest bit of a foothold right now? Where, where is your breastplate not fully attached? I want you to write it down. I want you to spend time this week praying about it and thinking about it because it just takes one minor defect. That's what they called the thing that happened with the coil. They called it a minor defect. One minor defect can destroy the mission, can destroy your life, can destroy the happiness, that, the hope that God has given you. So what is that? What, what, spend time praying about it this week. Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you know that there's something, you can, you, you can feel it, and it's something that Satan has used over and over and over again to come back at you when you've been at your most vulnerable. But what is it? Pray about it this week. Ask God for victory in this area. Remember, we're fighting from it, from victory. We're not fighting for it. God's already defeated our enemy, and he can give us the power in which to do it. The power in which to defend ourselves, the power to move forward. And that's what we want to happen this series. That's what we want to happen this morning. So this week, I want you to pr spend time praying about that. And I want you to, to remember this. And the, the reason why I asked you to write it down is because I fully believe that with God's help, you will. And you'll be able to look back, and it will be able to be a monument of sorts that you can look back on. You know, I struggle with that, and God helped me defeat that. So the next time that Satan gets a foothold, maybe somewhere else, because Satan's going to come back, and he's, he's not just going to give up. He's going to continue to, to tempt you. He's going to continue to come at you. You can look back and you can say, you know what? I struggled with this and he, he convinced me I was somebody I wasn't. But then I looked back at this. I prayed about this. God helped me defeat this part. And I know for a fact that God can help me do that again in this area. And it just serves as a reminder of how good God is for you and for me. So what is that area for you this morning? I want you to write it down and, and we're going to pray uh, about it right now. I want you to continue to pray about it this week, and then we're going to go from this place. But let's pray this morning as we close. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for, we thank you for just this moment to be in your presence. We know how busy life can get. We know how uh, distractions can come in an instant, in a moment. And for this moment, just for this time this morning, we've been able just to sit here. We've been able to, to stand and worship, and we've been able just to spend time in your presence Dear God, we, we acknowledge this morning that we are up against a formidable foe, a foe that you know better than we could ever know, and a foe who knows us better than, than sometimes we even know ourselves. He knows when we're the most vulnerable. He knows what makes us frustrated and mad and anxious. And dear God, this morning, I just, I just pray that as we 
go throughout this, this battle, this fight, this spiritual warfare that we've been talking about. I pray that we would be able to know the areas that Satan is attacking in our own life. I pray that we would be so aware of these footholds, these areas where Satan has been using to, to come into our mind and to tempt us and to tell us that we're not worthy, that we're not, we're not what you created us to be. And as we talked about all the way back in the, the prayer in the beginning of the service, that is true. Like we've fallen short, we've messed up, but you're a God who forgives. We live out of the reality of 1 John 1, 9 that you are faithful and just and you'll forgive us of our sins and you'll purify us from all unrighteousness. And when that happens, Satan has no foothold in our life. So God, I pray this morning for the person who's here, who's just struggling, who, who, who knows that, that there's, a, there's a place in their life that Satan's just been attacking. God, I pray that you'll deliver them from that. And I pray that we would all be able to look back and we'd be able to see the places in our life where you've helped us to claim victory and, and to defeat the devil and his schemes and his, to, to see him clearly for who he is, the father of lives and the deceiver of many. God, we thank you that you're a God who, who doesn't send us into this fight on our own. You have equipped us. And you've given us the ability through, through the death and the, the resurrection of your son to fight this battle. And so, dear God, we just thank you, and we pray that you'd be with us as we go today. We pray that you would help us to fight well. We pray that um, we would be well aware of the movements of the enemy. And, dear God, we wouldn't be so preoccupied with what he's doing that we lose focus on you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for creating us and forgiving us. Dear God, it's in your name that we pray today. Amen.